Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy a leadership development podcast told through the lens of Star Trek. And now here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining me today. We're going to Star Trek in one of its darker moments, especially for the mid-90s. But even in the midst of assassination attempts and executions, we learn the value of being curious. I even get to dive into Demaic and some Six Sigma as we watch Season 5, Episode 8 of Deep Space Nine, Things Past. We join Cisco, Dax, Odo, and my favorite, Garrick, in a runabout heading back from a conference. Hmm. You'd think that after the 2020s, they'd still have options for virtual conferences. Hmm. Oh well, must have been a slow time on the station. Well, Garrick is livid. It was a conference about the history of the Cardassian occupation of Bajor and the future of Bajorans. Garrick attended so they could hear someone provide them with an opposing philosophical view. Probably not the best idea. They even gave him a name tag that read Elim Garrick, former Cardassian oppressor. Attention shifts to Odo, who's very, very popular at the conference, but we get we get the first seed sown of what the rest of the episode will hold for us. You should be proud of what you did during the occupation. I have nothing to be proud of. As they continue their approach on Deep Space Nine in ops, they're reading very faint life signs on the runabout and some weird EM signatures on the hull. Worf, who's in command, apparently, calls for Dr. Bashir and they beam right over. We see the four from earlier all passed out in the cabin of the runabout where they'd been visiting. Bashir checks him and finds an excess of neural energy in them. He says he's not really quite sure what's happening with them and he can't wake them up. We cut quickly to Cisco sitting in a dark, dank Deep Space Nine. It's full of downtrodden and oppressed looking Bajorans. And as the camera pulls back, we see armed Cardassians patrolling. They, they're on Terok Nor. Now, we may have covered this before, I'm honestly not sure, but Deep Space Nine is the name the Federation gave to this outpost when they assumed command of it. It actually is a Cardassian construction that was built to process ore that was mined on Bajor. They called it Terok Nor. If you listen to the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast episode DS9 Emissary, I think it was the third one, you'll hear about O'Brien's work to convert the station from Cardassian tech to Federation tech. 
That's also like why all the view screens are oval instead of the rectangles, because apparently, apparently that's the Cardassian way. This is the way. Bashir's moved them into the med bay. Worf says the runabout ran into a plasma storm, and that's really the only weirdness that they ran into. It would appear that a common phenomena has had an uncommon effect on our people. The four, now on Terok Nor, are starting to piece everything together. They determine that they are being seen by everyone around them as Bajorans. They recall the plasma storm as well, and also remember hearing or feeling something as they passed it and just before they arrived here. But Odo, Odo is freaking out. He says they have to get off the station now, immediately. Now, an important thing to know about Odo at this point in the series, and this is a huge spoiler if you've never watched Deep Space Nine before. So, so I'll try to leave out as much as I can. But Odo can't shapeshift right now. He's a solid some stuff went down between him and the main changeling society with the founders that's called uh it's called the great link and the great link came together and made him solid now, honestly it's not too important through most of this episode i mean there's a few times it might have made sense for him to shapeshift and he doesn't but more than that it does come up a little bit at the end of the episode so right now it's just just something to know well, as Odo is freaking out, Dax notices Gold Ducat up on the second level. Ducat was the prefect of Bajor during much of the occupation, and his home base was on the station. Garrick and Odo recognize the Cardassian that was with Ducat as someone named Thrax. He was the former security chief, the person Odo replaced. Also, Thrax is played by the amazing Kurtwood Smith. Can you fly, Bobby? Let's go! With Thrax on the station, Dax figures this puts him at least nine years in the past. As they're talking, some guards come over and arrest Dax as Ducat watches from above. This one's been selected. In the arrest, Garrick takes a hit to the face, which back in the med bay causes his real nose to start bleeding. So it's possible that if they die in this fantasy world they're in, they could die in real life, too. Oh, the stakes just got real. Garrick, being Garrick, stole a device from the Cardassian guards during the arrest. They learned their identities from this thing. They're all Bajorans that actually existed. Bajorans that Odo remembers very clearly. As Cisco is going to ask more about it, they get a new assignment from Quark. Congratulations, gentlemen. You get to work today. 12 hours of work, two five-minute breaks, one slip of latinum each. Do you remember the last Deep Space Nine episode we had here on the podcast? It was Return to Grace. Well, Ducat got way super creepy with Kira in that one. Well, here's another chapter in the story of Ducat's grossness. And yes, that's a technical term grossness. Dax is delivered to Ducat. But my position is a lonely one. I'm isolated from the people who live under my protection. I require someone to talk with. A friend. Yeah, gross. But Dax, Dax is so awesome. She, she, well, it, 
it just falls into the role. Dax, Dax the symbiont is about 355 years old at this point. It's lived multiple lives in multiple walks and stages of life. It probably understands better than you or I can even imagine how to drop into a role. But, but she nails it. Just the right amount of fear and, and, and even awe. She even trembles at the right moments. She does this in some other episodes too, and it's one of the things I've really appreciated about how Terry Farrell portrays Dax. At Quark's, while the remaining three are cleaning, Odo shares that the Bajorans they're inhabiting, the ones that they look like, were executed for attempting to assassinate Gul Dukat. That's why he remembered them so clearly. He went on to say that they were innocent, but nobody wanted to take the time to prove it. A conversation that Quark has with Thrax is overheard by Garrick. The details of the discussion pinpoint their time frame to seven years ago, which is when Odo was in Thrax's position. Garrick, and I think all the viewers, are curious why Thrax is here when he shouldn't be, when it should be Odo in that role. Cisco redirects the speculation and says they're going to reach out to the Bajoran resistance for help to get off the station. He knows a way to reach out to them that he learned from Major Kira. They sit down for an exciting lunch of soup. <laughs> Ducat, his entourage, including Dax, come into the lunch area. Then a dude quickly joins them. You wanted a meeting? Don't look at me. Eat your soup. They try to convince him to help them off Terak Nor when BAM! A bomb goes off right by Ducat. No soup for you! Cisco chases into the explosion to check on Dax. She's down, but alive. And then they're all arrested for attempted assassination. Looks like history is playing out. They're in the brig. Odo is pacing. He's anxious. And then Thrax comes in and starts reading off sentences to other prisoners. Your sentence is five years hard labor. Trial to confirm the sentence will be held at 1700 hours. He starts reading off the case against the three and Odo gets passionately upset, pleading with him to actually investigate the case. Quiet! Quiet down! There is sufficient evidence for a conviction, all of which is circumstantial. Go beneath the surface. Conduct a real investigation. Thrax just tells them that they'll be informed of their sentence tomorrow afternoon. In Ducat's quarters, Dax is recovering. She, she seems to be okay. I don't get to eat like this very often. As he goes on and on and on and on about himself and his generosity, she Gacks him in the back of the head, knocking him out. She starts pouring through the computer. Meanwhile, in the cell, Cisco asks Odo to tell me about Thrax. He continues asking questions. He approaches Odo with a with a deep curiosity, trying to learn why is he here now. He continues questioning, but Odo just doesn't share anything helpful. And then suddenly, Dax cuts through the wall, breaking them free. They're on their way to Ducat's personal shuttle to get out of there. As they're running, there's a, there's a weird scene where they're intercepted by Thrax and his team. They fight in the corridor with Thrax eventually escaping by morphing like a, like a changeling and, and, and a goo and disappearing through the ceiling grates. It's weird because, I mean, really, this, this is just never brought up again. They continue on and board Ducat's shuttle, which is actually their prison cell again. They've just returned to where they left from. There's no way out. And perfect timing. <laughs> The sentence is being delivered. Your execution's been scheduled for 1900. 
waiting for their execution. Odo, again, he's pacing. He's freaking out with growing anxiety. Thrax, Thrax comes to the rescue, though. He takes Odo to his office, where Odo continues to plead their innocence. He starts walking through the evidence of it, trying to convince Thrax, but but no dice. When your people resort to terrorism and violence, they're fighting against order, against stability, against the rule of law, and this must be stopped. So Odo just does the only thing he can think of. He tells the truth. He says they aren't Bajoran. They don't belong in this time. They're they're from the future. And Thrax, Thrax responds, I know. Odo and Thrax are suddenly on the promenade with Sisko, Garrick, and Dax lined up for an execution. Odo's watching, just standing there with Thrax. And then it all comes out. See, Odo, Odo was the one that shortcutted the investigation. Odo was the one that went for the easy conviction and execution instead of seeking out the truth. But I was too busy, too concerned with maintaining order and the rule of law. He hid this for seven years because he was so, so very ashamed. As soon as he has that realization, they all wake up in the med bay. Bashir discovered they were in some version of the Great Link. When the plasma storm hit the runabout, it activated the enzymes and initiated a telepathic response. Odo had been thinking about the execution because of the conference, and when the changeling goo activated in him, it pulled everyone together for him to live out this memory. I guess... I guess Changeling Thrax was maybe a manifestation of the enzymes in there, or, I don't know, something like that. It would make a fascinating paper. The episode ends on a powerful, powerful scene. Kira confronts Odo. She just can't believe he would have ever done something like that. I believed in you. She says that she has to know that this was the the only time. The that Odo grew, that he changed after this, and that no other innocent people died under his watch. I'm not sure. Oh, what a great episode. People call Deep Space Nine the dark Star Trek, and this one was absolutely that. This is one of just a few times we get to actually see the Cardassian occupation and what life was like for the Bajorans, and, <laughs> and it was not very good. And seriously, Kurtwood Smith? I mean, Red Foreman, Clarence Boddicker, and and President of the Federation. He's such a great actor, and he had so much involvement in Star Trek. Come to Quark's Crisis Fund. Come right now. Don't walk. Run! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. I'm your host, Clarence, and I wanted to introduce you to the podcast. Discussing Trek is all about keeping you informed on the latest news and episode reviews in the Star Trek universe, while also staying engaged with our community of listeners. So be sure to hit that subscribe button for weekly content and stay locked in to DiscussingTrek.com for more information. Until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Are you looking for science fiction and comic book news without a whole lot of unnecessary spin? Then you're looking for Multiverse Tonight. Since 2018, Multiverse Tonight has covered the news about Star Trek, Star Wars, DC Comics, Marvel Comics, and anything else geek-related. We also have occasional interviews with creators and much, much more. That's Multiverse Tonight, hosted by me, Thomas Townley. Find it wherever you find podcasts or go to our website at multiverse tonight. 
Squitch.com. No one calls me these days. Oh, hey, what ho, Squitch? Have you finished that big new feature for the website yet? Absolutely. Hang on. Oh, that's not bad. It loads pretty quickly. There's every episode on it as well. X. What's this button all about? Don't push that button. That ain't gonna happen. No! Nothing happened. That's what you think. Waffle Tailors is a podcast all about video games and nonsense. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts, or head over to waffleandtailors.rocks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kurtwood Smith is a legend. He's amazing in every role he plays. In Star Trek, he played the Federation president in Star Trek VI, Thrax in this episode, Anorax in Voyager, Year of Hell, and Klar uh, in Lower Decks, Veritas. That, that is a galaxy-class resume. And he was in all that Trek because, because he's great. He's intense in this role. And there's, there's something about his makeup. I mean, he looks almost more Cardassian than even Ducat does. He added a ton to this episode. And wow, Ducat is a terrible, gross, and sick person. This episode, much like Return to Grace, added dimension to his character. He's, he's not just an arch villain, but he's someone with real motivations. He believes, he truly believes he's helping these people. He sees himself, he sees himself as a protector. And, and <laughs> to, to just add to that, he arrests women to come hang out with him and be his friend. Yeah. I mean, just, just terrible. I, I love it. <laughs> so much of this episode lands on Rene Aubergenois as Odo. If he doubted the role Odo was playing in this at all, it wouldn't have worked. He played squirrely and anxious, just, just perfectly. His belief and intensity when trying to stop Thrax from, from doing the same thing he did was amazing. The writing and directing helped there too. The director, by the way, LeVar Burton, just pretty cool. But having Thrax mirror Odo, who then mirrored Thrax, ugh, I mean, it was kind of obvious where the episode was going, but the path there was played perfectly. And in the end, oh, the end with Kira, gut-punching. I guess the truth is that anyone who lived through the occupation had to get a little dirty. She was disgusted, disappointed, but also totally understood. Ah, oh, that's awesome. But to me, I think, I think the best part of the whole episode is just how ridiculous the whole premise was. It, it was so ridiculous, they, they even kind of kept making jokes about it through the episode. Any theories, old man? Some kind of cross-dimensional transfer. But then why are we still seeing each other as we really are instead of as Bajorans? I just ran out of speculation. At the risk of repeating myself, I just don't know. They weren't insulting enough to just have everyone accept that it was happening. I mean, Cisco and Garrick really started digging into Odo about it, and Bashir and Worf brought it up in every scene they were in. But, but I love that everybody's like, yep, this is weird. Hmm, wonder how it happened. 
I mean, they stopped just short of saying Star Trek magic a few times. Yeah, they, they kind of tied it together at the end with some new made-up thing about the Great Link, but at least they didn't just let it hang. But still, Star Trek magic. Command codes verified. Two really big lessons in this one for us. Cisco was curious and asked really good questions when they were trying to make sense of what was going on. That curiosity taps into the expertise and brilliance of the people around you, but also helps focus everyone on the problem at hand. And the Thrax-Odo interactions really demonstrated the danger in being rigid and overly focused on what they called the rule of law. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support this podcast. The team finds themselves on Tarak Nor, and that is all they know. No idea how they got there, why they're there, or even why they're there. As the leader in the situation, Cisco does two things that go a long way in helping them prepare for, for what all comes next for them. First, he stays cool. He doesn't freak out or start panicking. Nope, he just takes it in stride. And this does a couple of things. First, it keeps his head clear so he can do the the next thing we're going to talk about, but he can also observe what is happening around him in a much more objective manner. This This is a lot more important than you might initially think. In Six Sigma, the process improvement methodology we use is called DMAIC. It defines the five phases for process improvement. Those are define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. If you want more details on this, I wrote a short blog post just explaining these phases at a, at a high level. You can find it at jeffaken.com in the blog section. But here, we're going to look at the define phase, which is where it all really begins. In order to improve something or solve a problem, you have to know what it is you are improving or solving. You must define it. You'll sometimes hear this referred to as as the scope or as the problem statement. Now, here's a bad problem statement that I'm sure we've all heard before. It sucks, period, right? Just it sucks. (laughs) Yeah, it does. But what about it sucks? Maybe maybe it's just going to suck and and that's, that's how it is. Like for me, one problem I'm trying to solve for myself is fitness. Working from home has not been great for me physically, so now I'm intentional about exercising. In fact, I do Tybo almost every morning. Have you ever done this before? I mean, just hearing Billy Blanks alone is worth it. You know, I always say success's greatest two enemies is what you see and what you hear. Plus, it's fun to kick and punch while being intentionally active. But my problem, the problem here is that, that I hate exercising. So if my problem statement around that was, it sucks, well, tough luck, Mr. Aiken. It's, it's just going to suck. No, you, you have to objectively define what the actual problem is. Going back to the person at work that just said it sucks, well, well what is it that sucks? Well, let's say that the amount of time it takes for a widget to get through third stage processing is too long, and we're sending it back for defect resolution 18% of the time. Now, that's good. We can build in some targets and some other pieces to refine it, but, but for this example, that's good. So, so let's go back to Cisco. 
He and his team are stranded on Tarak Nor, a place, a place that no longer even exists. His ability to stay calm and cool allows him to objectively measure out the situation. On one extreme, you've got Odo, who is pacing, breathing heavy, seeing ghosts and generally freaking out. You also have Garrick, who's trying to argue his way out of the situation because he's a Cardassian and can apparently outsmart his way around this if, if somebody would just let him. I'm too important to be captured. And then there's Cisco. He's watching, listening, observing. In the paradigm of Demaic, this will allow him to develop a tight, specific definition of the problem. But we really see this play out as he uses his observations to form fantastic questions. He has a curiosity about the whole thing that helps guide their problem solving. Like I said, Garrick, Garrick just wants to argue or manipulate his way out of the situation, while Odo just wants to run as far and as fast as he can. But Cisco wants to understand what's going on and, and why it's going on. He wants to be sure there isn't, there isn't anything they're missing. Tell me about Thrax. Something about his background. He seems unusual. What makes Thrax different? Why is he here now? Garrick said that you were the security chief during this time. He knows that the people he's working with, Odo specifically here, knows things that he doesn't. He sees his role as helping them uncover and verbalize those things so they can contribute to the solution. I feel like this is an easy one to see in a work environment, but easy as I'd like to think it is, my experience is that very few leaders actually do it. A problem comes up at work. Let's say a process is consistently producing a high defect rate. We, we can all relate with that, right? So now, now what happens? Like in your workplace right now, what happens at this point? Does a supervisor swoop in and start looking for the person or the people that are making mistakes? Does a manager or a lead send an email with exhaustive instructions on how to do things better and different? Does an executive stand up in front of everyone and tell them they need to step it up and do a better job? I am positive that one of these things or something close to it is exactly what happens for a lot of us, what happens to a lot of you right now. In fact, I'll bet it's going to happen for some of you this very week. And if it doesn't happen now, we've, we've all been on teams where this is how things go down when defects or problems come up. And guess what? None of these work. Ever. At best, all they do is feed the ego of the people in leadership positions, but not changing anything at all. And at worst, it demolishes morale because actions like these clearly communicate one thing to the people on the team. That is... You are not trusted. DTA, don't trust anybody. So instead, be curious. Ask questions. Come from a place of not knowing instead of trying to be the expert or the hero. And assume, honestly, this one might be the big aha for a lot of you. But start with the assumption the problem is because you have a bad process, not because any person is making an error. Back to the subject of Six Sigma or other methodologies like Lean or TQM. We've learned that more than 90% of all errors are the result of bad processes. 
that you could put the most capable person into that process and you're still going to have a high defect rate, but you won't know if it's process or people if you aren't curious or, or if you unleash the hounds looking for errors or people causing those errors. Dr. Deming, the father of quality that we've mentioned before on this podcast, has some great quotes and thoughts on people performance. Two of my favorites that come to mind here are, people work in the system. Management creates the system. Yeah. And whenever there's fear, you will get the wrong figures. Meaning that in most workplaces, we create this weird cognitive dissonance where we We tell people to do work a specific way. They do it that way, and it produces defects to which we then send supervisors to discipline the people for creating the defects that the process was basically built to create. Wow, it's wild, right? Okay, (laughs) that was a tangent from where I was going with all of this, but still, super valuable. And something, honestly, I hope I get to talk more about in another episode. The point and where I was going with this was to come from a place of curiosity, a place of not knowing. I'm curious what makes you so curious. What is the defect? How often does it happen? Does it happen across all shifts? Is there a time it happens more frequently? How many machines do we have running this job? How many of them produce this defect? Questions, questions, and more questions. Answers to questions should inspire even more questions. When I do this, I ask questions until I find something that seems tangible, like like it might actually be related to the defect or the problem. And then I employ my favorite problem-solving tool, the five whys. Are you familiar with the five whys? Oh, it's super simple, but more powerful than you can really even imagine. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's literally asking the question, why? five times. Now, I'll own this probably isn't the best tool for determining root cause, but it is a really good one. And for me, simplicity is going to win every time. Here's what I think is the best explanation of what this tool is. And this is a mostly true story that I'll bet a lot of you are familiar with. Okay, here we go. The Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. was deteriorating at an alarming rate. Highly paid consultants were brought in to determine why and to recommend a solution. The consultants gathered key park and mall employees together and used the five whys. Now, here's the very overly simplified version of how that went down. Why is the monument deteriorating? Well, because of the harsh chemicals and the massive amounts of water used to clean it. Why are the chemicals needed? Well, to clean up the large amount of bird droppings littering the monument. Why are there so many bird droppings? Well, there are a lot of spiders on and around the monument that the, uh, that the birds eat. Why are there so many spiders? Swarms of insects, food for the spiders, are drawn to the monument at dusk. And why number five? Why are they drawn to the monument at dusk? Oh, because that's when we turn the lights on. Bingo! We have it. The consultants recommended waiting an additional hour before turning on the lights, which reduced the bugs, which reduced the spiders, which reduced the birds, reducing the bird droppings, reducing the 
chemicals needed to clean and extending the life of the monument. <laughs> That's like the, uh, there was an old lady song. You know, I don't know why she swallowed that fly. She won't say why, <laughs> but, but in this case, the curiosity of the consultants and the use of a problem solving tool drove to a meaningful solution. They observed, they listened, and they asked questions. Now, it should be noted that this example is based on an unpublished document written by Don Messersmith back in 1993. As it was unpublished, a lot of the details have become the thing of myth, but it's based on a true story. And in true government fashion, even after receiving this recommendation, they spent five more years studying the problem and ultimately decided against the lighting solution because, because photographers complained about the lighting. Ah, uh, government. But what if these consultants acted like most every other group out there? What if they took a bunch of time taking measurements, interviewing a few people, and then selling some simple solution based on the first thing they found? Oh, harsh chemicals? Well, our official recommendation is to use green, environmentally friendly products. Thank you. That'll be $2 million. Please and thank you. So think of times you were curious or should have been curious at work. Did you ever go for the quick conviction like Odo and just blame stuff on a person when, when a little more digging, a little more curiosity would have provided you with better answers, better solutions? Honestly, what Odo did in this episode is almost the same thing as sending your supervisors after the workers that are, that are just stuck just stuck in your bad processes. And that leads us to the Thrax and Odo discussion. They're fighting against order, against stability, against the rule of law, and this must be stopped. There is more to life than the rule of law. Now, there's a deep philosophical debate to be had here. If a law is a law, should it be enforced at all times, or, or are there times for, for wiggle room? Is the law absolute, or is it or is it more of a guidance? We could we could go on and on debating those. And honestly, honestly, that, that might be super fun. If you want to take it on, we can do it in our Facebook group. The link, link is down in the show notes. But here, I'm going to apply that to the workplace and specifically the example that we've been discussing. If a person's job is to produce a thing at a rate of six an hour with a defect rate of less than 1.5%, then that's their job right? Less than six an hour or more than 1.5% and they aren't performing to standard. For this example, let's, uh, let's call our person Finn. Finn is a decent employee that meets and, and sometimes even exceeds these standards. But as we learned earlier, their shop has had a high defect rate recently. When asking questions, the manager learned that Finn had dropped to an average of about four per hour and a defect rate of nearly 6%. So that manager does what they should do, right? They look in their little manager manual and, and page 47 and, and do the thing it says, right? They send Finn's supervisor down to write them up for poor performance. A week or two goes by, Finn is actually doing worse. Defects are nearing 10%. So Finn gets fired. You're fired. Problem solved, right? Well, except it isn't. The defect rate overall is still growing. Had the manager continued asking questions and not just hopped off the curiosity train at the first actionable bit of information, 
they would have learned that there was a part that failed in one of their machines that, that wasn't a part of their normal preventative maintenance. Learning that, they would have repaired the part and made it a part of their PMs, but instead, they fired Finn because, because Finn wasn't meeting the standard. Finn failed to meet the rule of law. So Finn was executed on the promenade in front of all the other Bajorans. But three days after the execution, another bomb went off. Three days after the executions, there was another bombing on the promenade identical to the one that almost killed Dukat. You see, you see how I transitioned from that work example to the episode? <laughs> it's pretty smooth, right? Well, still, what I'm saying and what Odo learned is that you can't let the immediate violation determine your course of action. You have to be curious. You must ask questions and you have to drive towards the truth, no matter how hard it might be. Driving to the truth would have saved Finn's job, saved millions in cleaning a monument, and saved three innocent Bajorans' lives. I'm curious about times when your curiosity paid off. What was your role? What was the situation? What kind of questions did you ask? Let's talk about it. Head over to our Facebook group and share your story. The link for the group is in the show notes, or you can just search Starfleet Leadership Academy on the Facebook. You can also find me on Twitter at SFLA Podcast or anywhere on social media at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff T. as in Thrax, A-K-I-N. And hey, please leave a review for the Starfleet Leadership Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. Helps the show out a lot. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. From Voyager's fourth season, the 25th episode, one. We get a deep dive into seven of nine in this one, as well as some more great stuff from the doctor. And I, I'm really excited about this. I'll be releasing a special episode next Tuesday off the normal release schedule. I had the opportunity to spend some time with a person that is recognized as a top 30 leadership expert by Global Gurus, is acclaimed by Inc. as a speaker, and gave a TEDx talk on little secrets for big success. And he's a huge Star Trek fan. You do not want to miss my interview with Gordon Treadgold. You can learn more about him right now at gordontreadgold.com. But until then, ex astra scientia. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, 
and live in a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab, an electric cast production. See you there. Electric acid. Electric acid.